0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: The reading is taken from James chapter 1, verses 16 to 27. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore... to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning, Emmanuel. It is really lovely to be here this morning with the Emmanuel family and it's really lovely for me to actually have family in the room Um, our son and daughter are staying for the weekend do say hello to them and make them welcome in the normal Emmanuel way before we go okay if you haven't got your phone on or a bible in front of you um hopefully you have turn your phones on we're in James chapter one As so beautifully read. We're going to do three things this morning. I'm going to introduce James as a book and the ideas in in him. We're going to think about the simple actions that James summarizes in the passage that we've just heard to listen, to do, and to look that are combined behaviours that change us to be salty, wise, true followers of Jesus. And thirdly, we're going to to look in the mirror with James. So who was James? Well, we know from Acts that he led the first church in Jerusalem. And he was called a pillar, a solid, upright, weight-bearing leader... He wasn't one of the 12 disciples, two of which were also called James. Now, this James is the leader who chaired, if you like, the council in Acts 18, which was a really big deal. There was a row in the church about who could belong and who could follow Jesus and what you had to do to be a follower of Jesus. And the Jewish Christians were convinced that you had to go through rituals and become a certain sort of thing to be a follower of Jesus. Things like circumcision. It was a really difficult really difficult set of things to think through. But James in his conclusion with the other leaders is really super wise. He is also the brother of Jesus. They both have the same mum. And he had grown up in a devout Jewish home with amazing adult role models. He would certainly have known an awful lot of the Hebrew Bible by heart and been a devout person. Who was he writing to? Well, he was writing to family. He says, dear brothers and sisters, but he means the church family. The Jewish Christians in particular and this is the, in the first 20 or so years after Jesus um, was taken back in the clouds. And so people in this church, this very first community of followers of Jesus, would have seen Jesus. They would have seen him die. They would have seen him come back to life. And James would have seen Jesus after he came back to life. They'd been through a revolution. They would have seen the, ho- the flames that the Holy Spirit came with in that upper room. It's really exciting, isn't it? But in the next 20 years, this church community of followers of Jesus went through a really hard time. There was famine in the region. Uh, People who were Christians were dispersed in Jerusalem. They were socially and economically persecuted, especially by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, the ones that weren't following Jesus, the ones that just followed the old Hebrew Bible. And in fact, James himself was murdered. James uses two main sources in his teaching. The first one um, are the characteristics and the teaching that Jesus sets out which probably wasn't even written then, in Matthew, um, the Beatitudes, you know, the things, the characteristic that God favours, and the way that Jesus teaches us to live, in Matthew 5 to 7, that's one set of sources, and there's lots of words that link in to those teachings of Jesus. But he also heavily relies on the book of proverbs especially the beginning which is a long beautiful poem chapters one to nine worth a read both of those things what does James want to achieve well he keeps making contrasts throughout the book between two ideas two very different ideas he switches between metaphors a lot there's lots of short sharp bits of teaching For example, we had today, listen, don't get angry. But if we stand back from James, the big push of what he's saying is don't be inconsistent. Don't be a person who's compromised or fractured. Be wise, be whole, have integrity. In fact, he's saying be perfect, which is a thing that Jesus taught too in Matthew 5. It's an uncompromisingly high standard. Last week, John, at the beginning of chapter one, when he was talking, talked about trials and tests that, that produce in us a faith that perseveres. It produces mature, wholer, more whole, whole is not a word, is it? More whole followers of Jesus and you'll remember John was squeezing that ball and it really hurt his hand. But, he's, but that's how he got better at it. That's how he built the muscles up. God is on a mission to make us whole. And so is James. And he says it begins with wisdom. And he says, the verses that we read today in, this, in verse 16, that God will generously give to those who ask. Actually, it's just before verse 16, sorry. Wisdom to anyone who asks, believing that they will receive it. So here's another comparison in James 1, 6 to 8. If you believe and don't doubt, you won't be tossed around on the sea. You won't feel like a fractured, compromised person. We have to choose between faith and trust in God, despite our circumstances, whatever those are, being rich or poor or persecuted or in a time of big blessing and change or not trusting and choosing anxiety or anger. So that's the introduction and an overview of James. And I'm going to take a quick break as we look at a video from um, an organisation called The Bible Project, In fact, you can find them online, BibleProject.com, and if you don't know of this resource, it's really worth a look.
3: For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has shamad that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema.
2: Thank you. Cool video, isn't it? The idea is really pretty clear, isn't it? As James sets it out here. If you don't if you listen and you don't do what it says, you're not really listening. Listening and looking at what? there are two things that I think James has crafted into this second half of chapter one that we're going to have a look at. Verse 25, if you've got your Bibles on, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James wants you to look intently at the perfect law. What's that? Well, he definitely means the headline in the Shema that we've just seen. He definitely means love the Lord your God with everything you have. But he doesn't just mean that. Do you remember when Jesus was asked which the greatest law was? And it and we won't go into it now, but it was, they were try, the, the um, leaders in the temple were trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus replies, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. No controversy. And the second, Jesus says, is like it. It's an image of it, if you like. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these. That's what Jesus says. And this is what James means by the perfect law. Jesus' summary of it. And he illustrates it in verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Love others as yourself. So widows and orphans and people in distress. Keep yourself clean and not polluted, i.e., be totally devoted to God with all of you, as in the Shema. And he tells us to look intently, to really, the words like bend over, to look really hard, because God accepts this behavior as faultless. Well, what hope? What hope is there that I can reach that high standard? Because I know myself. And you know yourself. And we are not whole or perfect or able to a fully obey this law. All of us, when we look in the mirror, are much more compromised than we are comfortable with. Like the person in verse 23 we would much rather look in the mirror and quickly forget and walk away. Let me give you an example. About 10 years ago, a very dear friend of mine asked me to be her birth partner. It's not a a thing that I could say no to because she had been through a really difficult, really difficult time and she was in deep distress. But I tell you, when that text came through on my phone, I was not pleased. I was really actually quite grumpy. Oh no, Lord. I'm so squeamish and I'm not good in those kind of situations. That's just, oh, what do you do? Well, what I did was I called on his mercy and his grace. And when the baby was born at home, we had such an amazing time. The mum doesn't follow Jesus. The baby was born safely. And afterwards, she said to me, You are so lovely when you touched me I knew that you loved me and I said to her wow that's divine and she went no because she knew what I meant she went no Wendy you're just a really nice person no I'm not that was God that did that that was his grace and his love filling the room it was amazing we had such a good time we were laughing between contractions i mean i don't know if that ever happens i'm not a midwife every day thank goodness but but we did it was it was a difficult birth but he was with us even though even though my friend didn't know he did something he did something amazingly faultless james says keep going There's more good news. It's not just that Jesus summarized the perfect law. It's almost like he is the perfect law. If we go up to verses 16 and 18, at the top of the passage that we read, when when James is saying, don't be deceived, every good thing comes from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change. He's not inconsistent. He's not in the dark or stupid. He absolutely knows what's going on. He chose to give us birth, James says, through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth, Through the ransom price Jesus paid on a cross and because of his resurrected body, we, me and you, can have new birth to be image bearers of a perfect God as he made us to be. That's where it starts. It's kind of a new humanity that he puts in us that he's making that truly reflects his perfect law. Let me give you another example. When I was little, I've got two little brothers. They, my mum had three of us under five. Um, my mum and my dad both ran businesses. They were self-employed. My mum ran quite a big guest house, and my dad ran a building and plumbing business. And my his mum and dad lived with us, my nanny and grandpa. It was a full house, and it was tight in the sense that it was really busy, there was not a lot of patience. Everything was just tight and stretched and difficult. And, and the businesses would go through difficult patches. There were money worries. Well, when I was six, I remember being in the kitchen and my dad coming through the back door. And I looked at his face and he was, I don't, know how to say, I don't know how to explain this, because at six, I knew he was a different dad. I just knew, as I looked at him, he was, there was something really different about my dad. And my mum was at the kitchen sink, and she was really frustrated about something dad had done. Don't judge her. He, she should have been frustrated. And she broke a plate in frustration. And my dad picked up a dustpan and brush and cleared up the mess. That had never happened before. That's what freedom in Jesus looks like. What had happened that day is my dad had met with Jesus in a really dramatic way. And he had been, he'd had a heart transformation. He'd had a new heart put in him. We don't all come to Jesus like that. Some of us come really slowly and it creeps up on us and we don't even maybe notice particularly, but there's a thing that happens as we turn to him and the word that is, he planted in us, we accept. That's how it starts. In fact, my dad's favorite hymn still is, the And Can It Be hymn. The one that goes, my chains fell off, my heart was free. Those chains of death, those inconsistencies, the things we can't change, God puts a new heart in us. It's amazing. So how do we respond to this? Well, we cannot respond at all. We can just say no thanks and walk away or we could be not sure if you're not sure how to respond to Jesus whether you've never really met him before or whether you've been following him for a long time and he's asking you to do something this morning he's talking to you and you're just not sure how to respond put the kettle on when you're home make a cup of tea get James out and ask Jesus to show you to talk to you in chapter 1 he will we need to accept his word there's only one jesus one perfect human and james says keep going do what he do what it says The thing is, Jesus didn't give us as his followers just the power of the Holy Spirit to live differently, to be able to be free to make choices that are good and make us whole. He didn't just give us the power of to be holy. He actually has given us holiness, He's actually given us the real thing. There's a lovely verse in Isaiah where it talks about being covered in a robe of righteousness. That's what God's going to do with us. That's how he is going to see us. I'm going to pray just as we finish. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are one and whole and perfect And we are not. But in your great mercy, you came and found us. Lord, we want to follow you. Help me this day, this week, to be more full of your light, to be more salty in everything I do so that it pleases you. Amen.